Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. Hi everyone! If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe for free on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Hi everyone! Welcome to the Greener Side Podcast, your guide to all things immigration. Many people have requested for the UK. Paano po ba ako makakapunta sa UK at makakapagtrabaho sa UK? Well, fear not, we have an interviewee, our fellow PNA Podcast Network Asia podcaster, Christina Abregana, who hosts Asia in the Shadows and Lagim Podcast, is here with us today to tell us more about it. Hi, Christine, and welcome to The Greener Side. Hi, Grizel, and hi to your listeners. Thank you for having me. It's so good to be here. Yes, thank you. Just call me Kring. I'm Kring. I'm like Grizel. I did, I, you know, they did tell me like, oh, what was what was her nickname again? Then I forgot. Um, yeah. So yeah, you're <laughs> going by Kring now. <laughs> yes, thank you. Okay, Christine. So tell us naman a bit about yourself, first and foremost. Yeah, so I'm Christina Brigana, and I currently live in the UK. I'm Filipino-German, and on the Filipino side, my family's mostly from Davao, Davao del Sur. And the German side is a very small family, but mostly from West Germany. I was born in Germany, but I, I kind of grew up in Davao, really. I mean, my formative years were spent there. And, and then at the age of 15, 16, I decided to sort of like reconnect with my German roots, which was a culture shock in and of itself. I am a lawyer. I'm a former lawyer, but I have left that life behind. And I am now, I'm working for a university here in the UK, doing things that are sort of lawyer-like, but not really. But I enjoy it very much. And then on the side, I do my two true crime podcasts, uh, something that I'm really, really passionate about. Yes, I know. <laughs> I've been following both on Instagram. And <laughs> you never run out of cases to, to discuss, which is so fascinating. It is fascinating and scary. It just means there's so many bad people out there because you, you just never run out of content and material, really. But you don't get death threats, do you? <laughs> no, but I, I do get hate messages, you know, when I hit a nerve, <laughs> when I say something, because I can't help myself, right? I do inject my episodes with a few personal opinions and I do warn them, this is just my own personal opinion. I can't help it. Opinionada. <laughs> um, and, so, and so sometimes when it rubs the wrong way, they do send me messages. You know, and they accuse me of all sorts of things, but I'm just like, oh, it, it just bounces. It everything bounces off of me now, so I'm like, I'm used to it now. I'm, no worries. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the mark of a success when you have some haters now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Christine, tell us about your firsthand experience, the man. So you said that you lived in the Philippines for your formative years. So why did you move to the UK eventually from Germany? Yeah. So when I was in Germany, 
it was a combination of not wanting to I had a very sort of acrimonious relationship with with my father to begin with. It didn't improve um, or it wasn't improved by the fact that he remarried and that person really didn't like me. So yung madrasta ko medyo medyo bitchy. And so I thought I really wanted to explore the world on my own and be away from that very toxic environment. So I first hopped on the train oh, you know, and crossed the border over to the Netherlands. I went to a liberal arts college and then hated it because I was so bored out of my mind. It was it was nice. It was a very, you know, intimate college situation and, you know, people spoke English so I didn't have to deal with like German. German is a very complicated language in and of itself. And then I thought, you know what? If I want to become a lawyer and eventually practice in a country where they speak English, why don't I just go to the source? You know, just go to England. And that's how I, you know, I dropped out after my third semester in this liberal arts college where I was not really learning much, you know, and hopped on a plane nine months after I dropped out. I just landed in Liverpool. I didn't know where I was. I was completely shell-shocked by everything that, that sort of greeted me. The wet, gray weather, cars mm-hmm. on the other side of the road, the fact that when they say student room, oh, they really mean student room. Like literally, it was so small. I lived in a box, essentially. And everybody speaking English. I know, I knew that they were speaking English, but the accent was horrible. Like, what? What? Sorry, <laughs> I don't understand you. It took me two weeks to like get used to it. That's how my British journey came about, really. Yeah. Yeah, two weeks is short compared to uh, <laughs> other people who take years to uh, get that's to just, uh, yeah. yeah but that's just me getting getting uh, getting used to the scouse accent in liverpool you know not counting in the months of getting used to just how they are as people their ways their mannerisms the the colloquialisms and all that that took a couple more months but just to just to adjust my ear to their accent well yeah it took about two weeks it was a fun journey from there on out Yeah, and I understand that you had some complications on your situation when uh, Brexit happened. Well, complication is is, is sort of a relative word, isn't it? Essentially, what happened to EU citizens who sort of arrived years before Brexit or years before the referendum, we were sort of in a good position. We were sort of quasi-safe in a way. We were told so many things that were contradictory um, and we were promised so many things that never really came about. They said, oh, you will not have to do anything because you arrived, I don't know, 12 months before the referendum or 24 months before the referendum. It doesn't matter. You're here. You're EU citizens. You're working. You're paying taxes. No problem. But then every other month, they would tell us something different. Oh, by the way, now you have to apply for this, for this scheme, and you have to download this app and, you know, take a picture of yourself and we'll, we'll vet you. Like, well, how, what? Why are you going to vet us? We've been here. We've been working for, for a few years now. But then they changed their mind. They said, you have to be part of this scheme that all EU citizens will have to be a part of. You will have to register. We'll have to vet you. And some people had so many problems and, And we would hear on the news sort of the outlier cases where, oh, she's been a professor here for a decade and still she's been rejected by the home office when she applied for this scheme to stay here. My partner and I were both EU citizens. He's from Belgium. I'm from, you know, Germany. So, you know, our passports are from those countries. We were like, oh, my God, we've been here 
for lesser years than that person, what will yeah. happen? You know, the anxiety around it is uh, was horrible, really. And the frustration that they kept changing their minds about us. And we were used in a way. What happened was the certainty of our status was used as a pawn to pressure the EU to let the British in, <laughs> in their territories sort of prosper the way the, the government here wanted them to prosper. And our lives were put sort of at, at stake here and it, it wasn't a good feeling at all and there's a lot of like hurt there <laughs> yeah and i could tell that you guys were like i don't know bait or something yes, exactly yeah it was sort of dangled in front of the eu you know like oh okay you're not gonna treat our brits right so we're not gonna treat your eu citizen <laughs> like hold on like we're people <laughs> come on yeah. treat us right you know so yeah, it was it was horrible. And it's still ongoing. There are some things that are some issues that have been put on hold because of the pandemic. And it's just this hmm. constant waiting of like, um, so are we safe now or not? You know, imagine living that day and uh, living every day like that, sort of in limbo. It's it's a horrible feeling. Ooh, yeah, that sounds like a lot of stress for someone applying to be in the EU or sorry to be in the UK yeah. so Christine could you tell us naman for the Filipinos who still want to go to the UK could you tell us what exactly they could do or what the most accessible work visas are for Filipinos? So there are a couple of things really available to non-EU. I would just classify, you know, the Filipinos as part of the non-EU group of um, workers, so to speak. One has to remember if you are wanting to work in the UK, sometimes their immigration laws can change just like that. So it is it is really important that if you want to work here, if you want to immigrate, then you always check with the government website so www.gov.uk and look for the home office department because you will always get the newest updates on laws on policies there as for visas i would classify sort of the available visas here as short term long term and then the invest investors slash business visas and I really thought about what would be like the most interesting for, you know, our Capua Filipino. And I would say the general UK work v visa and the intra-company transfer visa would be most significant and relevant, perhaps. And did you want me to sort of go a little bit more into detail or? <laughs> yes, please. Yes. <laughs> so, with the, <laughs> so with the work visa, it is for anybody outside of the EU and Switzerland. Like I said, for non-EU citizens who, who have received a job offer in the UK and the applicant must be employed by a licensed sponsor in order to be able to apply. So certain companies have been given licenses to offer for sponsorships for workers coming outside of the UK and outside of the EU. So that's one that's just a general work visa. And the second one that I thought was really interesting is intra-company transfer visa. This visa is for people whose overseas employers have offered them a role in the UK branch of the organization, they then have to apply for this UK work visa. So let's say, oh, what's what's a good example? So let's say, um, mm, you know, Nestle? if you're an Apple employee, Nestle, mm. yeah, um, if you're a Nestle employee and you just happen to be Filipino, you will have to fulfill certain el eligibility requirements in order to be to be approved for a transfer visa. But obviously. As the title of the visa implies, you have to be an employee of that person. The UK government will have to really see evidence that you've been offered the position in the UK and 
understand that you are needed in the division or office here in the UK. So those are the ones that I thought would be really relevant for, you know, your listeners. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's really useful to know. So for the general work and intercompany work visas, I think the gist of it is that you have to apply for the job in the Philippines or you already work for a company in the Philippines that also has a branch in the UK. Exactly. Exactly. So I don't think the UK would recommend people getting a tourist visa and then applying for jobs while on the tourist visa. Some countries do that, I, but at the UK, I don't think yeah, so. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even, you know, I wouldn't even advise that. Uh, things can get so tricky if somebody goes down that uh, path. Eventually, you would have to exit the country before you can go back in. It may seem very, you know, such, such a hassle and seems trivial, but that's just how it is. In your tourist visa, if you really strip it down to the basics, it does say there that you cannot take on employment while you're a tourist. Sure, you can come here as a tourist and maybe interview for a company. And once you get the job, you'll ha- still you would have to exit and then come and come back in after you've received a new work visa. So you can't just stay here and say, yeah, I'll just, I'll just uh, transition this into a work visa. Like, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> it's not like oh, a yeah. water to wine situation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Christine, so to be able to apply for these visas, aside from getting that job, how can you help your employer uh, apply for the visa on your behalf. So because I suppose na if nakuha ka ng employer mo, mm-hmm. sila yung mag apply ng visa on your behalf. Yeah. So the employers, because they are licensed to sponsor you, they will know what to do. They will have certain, you know, I'm not sure what their requirements are, but they would ask you to give you sort of general visa requirements. So the application form, you know, the photographs, the passport and all that, you will have to give them criminal record certificate, police registration certificate, a sponsorship letter. So they would have to provide you with a sponsorship letter. You will also have to show sort of necessary funds to financially support yourself in the UK. So that could mean sort of maybe a start starting sort of budget that you have before you get your first paycheck and sort of evidence from the employer that you will be paid sort of a certain amount of money as somebody who works for them. There are some medical requirements as well, and your employer will make you aware of that, but it's good to sort of know for yourself that you need those. So for example, depending on which country you're from, some people will have to go through to, to give a tuberculosis test, for example, test results. So things like that. I'm not quite sure what the sponsor companies will have to do extra but certainly as an as an applicant those are sort of the general things that you would have that you would have to prepare for your visa application yeah and i think this is also the advantage of looking for that job online because if you do get an employer your employer yung magaasikaso no visa mo. So there is not that stress on your part that you have to apply this to immigration yourself. You just have to give the employer the supporting documents yes. for them to be able to do that. Exactly. Yeah. And they will know what to do and, you know, the best person to, to approach. And I'm pretty sure I have worked, I mean, I have not worked in central government. I've worked in local government here in the UK. But things like this where it's sort of a B2B situation, you know what I mean? Like, you know, big company to the government and all that. There is a special department or team that will deal only with those, you know, only for visa applications that 
that are sponsored by certain companies. So I'm pretty sure, I mean, I really hope it works that way in our home office. But yeah, that's you're, you're completely right there. Yeah. So just to give a summary, so application forms for the uh, visa itself, your police clearances, NBI, sponsorship letter, documents of financial stability, stability such as your bank statements and also I think yung um ano tawag dito yung offer of uh, the job yes. the contract itself yes yeah? yeah so it's either that because a contract usually comes a little bit after I mean from my experience but they they do give you um you know an offer letter they give your contract even better so yeah definitely yeah. Pr- you know and you can add to that list sort of proof accommodation proof of accommodation usually so for healthcare workers for example if they're employed by the NHS so our national health services here they do provide you with accommodation for a certain period of time, like maybe the first six months or the first 12 months. So they don't even have to worry about that because your sponsor will tell them, no, we have we have an apartment for them that they can move into yeah. once they, they stay here. It just makes things easier, I think, for the sponsor to not put the burden on you to, I don't know, go on some sort of real estate agent's website and explore all these properties. And you don't even know where they are located because you've never been to that city and you never, you've never been to that town. So a lot of these companies will have ready accommodation for you to sort of sleep in for the first couple of months. Yeah. Yes, yes. That's a, a point that that's a good point that I think people would uh, don't really know. Yeah. And they should know is that if you do get hired overseas, usually your employer will give you like a month or a few months of accommodation to stay in Casio Siempre. You don't know the place and they don't expect you to like find the place while you're yeah. overseas in the Philippines. I mean, how, how will you navigate the property market in a foreign country when you're literally just trying to to navigate life, you know, yeah. first and foremost, you know? <laughs> I mean, who will tell you about, oh, yeah, you need to do this for utilities and council tax. And you're like, what? I don't know this. And these are the things that you learn when you step foot here. They cannot put that burden on you. And I think for anybody who's listening, who's interested in looking for that UK company that you want to apply for, do ask them, like make it a point to ask them. And if it's something that you think you can negotiate, if they don't have it readily available, then yeah, go for it. Definitely. Yes. It, it won't hurt to ask. Because I mean, when I first arrived, that was exactly my experience. I, I landed here. Sure, I paid my deposit and my first month's rent as a student, but I didn't know about all the things that I had to pay their local taxes and all that. I'm like, what? What are they talking about? Like, <laughs> there's so many things I have to pay for. So these are the things that I've learned all throughout the months, the months afterwards, I, I after I moved in. So yeah, good point. Yeah. Very good point. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. You. And uh, do you know how long the processing times are now for these visas? Yeah, so standard is three weeks, you know, three full weeks. So not just working days, it's a full three weeks. There are some ways where you can get it faster depending on whether you are located near somewhere where you can collect it, if there's a visa application center nearby. And I, and I think in the Philippines in, in that situation, I don't think we have a visa application center just scattered in Cebu or Davao, you know, the bigger cities. I think we just have the embassy 
over in Manila. So I don't think that will apply uh, unless, of course, you're from Manila and you can, you know, they have it. It's a service that the British embassy offers there. So that is something that they would have to they would have to explore. But yeah, standard is three weeks. It said on, on sort of the government website that you should get a decision on your visa within three weeks. Once you either attend your appointment at the visa application center or use the ID check app. So they have apps as well. One thing you have to understand about the British, they love converting everything, you know, their services into like app services. <laughs> so our NHS, we have our COVID app, we have our vaccination app, everything is on app, but I think it's three weeks. And if you opt for a priority service, then you could either get it within five working days or next day collection, but that is called the super priority service. And that might come with high costs as well. It's definitely worth inquiring at your local embassy or you know, what you call it, the, the visa application center. Yeah. And I think their website naman has that the visa processing timeframes. Yeah. Three weeks is quite short compared to other visas in other countries, in other uh, crown countries like New Zealand and Australia. Yeah, yeah. Babalik lang ako dun sa requirements. Do you think that we would need a COVID vaccine now? You would have to be at least double vaxxed. So mm. I think the booster is at the moment not really sort of a travel requirement because it is understood that not every country has at the moment access to the booster vaccination, the booster doses. But they, they do, they do require you to have the person locator form filled out and evidence that you are double vaxxed. Again, this is something that changes really quickly. I remember late last year where the rules literally changed every every three to five days because we were in the throes of the Delta variant and things were happening so quickly and countries were changing rules every time. So it is worth looking on the government website as to what is uh, needed from uh, people traveling in from the Philippines. But if you are not vaccinated, chances are like close to zero or maybe zero that you'll be let in. Uh, make sure that you have either an app or a card with you or any official certificate. Check that it is actually recognized by the border agency here in the UK and fill out a person locator form because sometimes they do the short audits. I have never been audited when I was traveling in and out of Malta last year, but I have heard of friends where they were literally the police was at the door and said, oh, <laughs> we've heard you came in from Spain. Like, <laughs> have you have, have you tested? Did you do your, um, your uh, day two? Because you have to do a day two test and a day four, a day eight test. Oh my gosh. Uh, PCR test. Yeah, it was crazy. It was so expensive traveling. And yeah, one of my managers, the police knocked on her door and said, we heard that you've been to France and have you oh my gosh. Have you done your day eight PCR? Just like, <laughs> hello, good morning to you too. <laughs> you can't just, you can't just come knocking in here and like asking if you've got a PCR test, but yeah, they had, they had it. So yeah, sometimes they do their audits and they're very strict, but I've never been audited, but be, be on the safe side of things and just, just do the yes. tests, um, get the vaccinations. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Better to just get the vaccine and assume that you will need two doses or the booster when it's yeah. available to you. Yeah. yeah, Christine, so what are the more in-demand skills and or occupations in the UK? What will give Filipinos a better chance to find a job there? 
Well, this is the thing. There's a whole list that I don't know if, you know, if you want to include it in your show notes, I'm definitely sending you a link. But the top 10 that I think would be very interesting for our Kapo Filipino would be health services and public health managers or directors. So we're not talking about people who are nurses or doctors. We're talking about like people who really have a management background. And I think that's very interesting because we seem to think of health services as just medical workers. But there might be some management talents out there who are interested in going for hospital management. So that's sort of my number one. The second one is residential day and domiciliary care managers and senior care workers. The UK is always in need of care workers for elderly homes. There's always a shortage. It's it's literally a crisis at this point because so many homes are being opened or people have quit or people have gotten sick over um, over the pandemic and they 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 just need to recruit so many of them. And then we go into the more I guess the more classic classical jobs like chemical scientists, but at the moment I think the UK is only interested if you are someone in the nuclear industry. So they're very specific about that. If you're a biochemist or a biological scientist, you're good to go. You're, you, you'll be considered a high value, sort of like a skilled worker. If you're an engineer, all kinds of engineers at the moment are so in demand. So I've listed here electrical, mechanical, civil, electronics, design and development engineers. And literally, they said all jobs like we've got an engineering um, shortage here in the UK. And then sort of the last four I've listed down here is IT business analysts, architects and systems systems designers, programmers, software development professionals, anything IT really. And if you are a communication specialist sort of in the IT industry, if you are good with cybersecurity, then patoka, <laughs> say UK. They're, they're also in need of people who do web design and development. And interestingly enough, they we are in need of veterinarians. So, you know, uh, the animal lovers out there, um, if you're <laughs> a vet, come on over. <laughs> um, there are a few more there. Uh, I'm definitely going to send you the link for this because it was a really long list. And if they're interested, they can go to that web page and, you know, pick, pick it off this little menu if they're interested. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yes. Uh, so for anybody who wants to know what exactly the jobs are that are in demand in the UK. We have that link on the show notes. So just check that out. So satulad ko na marketing professional, you know, I'm not on the list, obviously. But, you yeah. know, don't lose hope. No, don't. Because there's, yeah, there's always going to be a job. If you keep applying and applying, there's always going to be an employer who will say, who that looks good. Tara, let's interview her. Let's hire her. Yeah. And also, it's all about how you, how you sell your skills. If, for example, you're a marketing expert, but you've been in a certain industry that the UK may deem important, even though it's not on the in-demand uh, skilled workers list for the government. There might there, there could be a company, a private company out here who is desperately in need of someone with your specific sort of very niche skills. So don't don't lose heart at all. The things that are listed in this link that Kring is going to put in the show notes, this is just something that the government sort of collated from either from both public and and private sectors. So the private sector is so vast. Sky's the limit. And the job market, oddly, is looking good here for IT specialists, for healthcare workers. So even if it's not listed there, but if you're you're in that industry somehow, then go for it. L really, it's all about your sales, you know, sort of uh, pitching your resume or your CV as if you're doing a product pitch or a sales pitch. Big up yourself. educational background, you know. So it's all yes. about that. Yeah, it's not the time to be humble no, when you're applying for jobs. <laughs> yeah, magmayabang kayo 
sell yourself. Amen. And <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'd like to note also that the job market is pretty hot right now. People, especially in a lot of developed countries, are undergoing a great resignation where everyone is just leaving their jobs. So the, the job market is super hot. And I think we should strike while the iron is hot and apply kasi mas nangangailangan sila ngayon dahil maraming mm-hmm. nagre-resign. Mm-hmm. And it, you, you, can, you can even use that. This whole great resignation thing, this very anti-work sentiment that a lot of people are feeling, you can even use that as leverage somehow. I've not really thought it through, but I've been on Reddit so many times following all these sort of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. these threads. And you, you learn a lot about people who've been in high positions who are observing the market. And it's interesting how they say, well, you know, you can now say, well, I want to work remotely because that's just our new normal now. Leverage the, the new normal, leverage the post-pandemic world, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, be be savvy about it. Do your research. And like I said, pitch yourself, pitch your, pitch your skills to, to the higher-ups and magmayabang kayo. Don't be shy. Let's not... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Let's not perpetuate the the Filipino hiya hiya sort of <laughs> mentality. No. no, no, that there's, let's not, let's cut, let's cut that out and be proud of what we've achieved. Yes. Wala tayong mararating guys kung shy tayo. Yes. Kapala natin ang mukha natin. <laughs> Sobra. <laughs> <laughs> Isang nakakahilakpot na gabi. Ako po si Red. Mga samot saring kwentong katatakutan ba ang trip mo? Inaanyayahan kitang makinig dito sa Hilakbot Pinoy Horror Stories The Podcast. Hanapin mo na sa iyong paboritong podcast platforms. Powered by Podcast Network Asia. Sige na, switch off na ang ilaw, tapos itodo mo ang volume ng iyong speaker. Huwag kang matakot. Sasamahan ka naman ng matandang nakabitin sa inyong kisame at kanina pa nakatingin sa iyo. <laughs> okay, well that was very informative about the visas. Thank you, Christine. And yeah. let's talk about the culture now of the UK. Yes. So you Yeah, you said that when you arrived there, you had a huge culture shock. So could you tell us about that? Yeah, because I think when people think of the UK, we think of everybody speaking English the way that maybe Kate Winslet speaks English <laughs> or Kira Knightley, but it's really not. You could be in one place and travel three or four miles and the accent changes. Really, it is unbelievable. I am currently residing in South Yorkshire, 
North England. And if I travel a little bit to the West, a little bit to the North, the accent changes and I might have to like squint a little bit. I know, I don't know why squinting would help me, but <laughs> I always think like, I need to squint to understand you. I need to watch your lips because the accent changes. And I think that was the first biggest sort of culture shock that I had. I landed in Liverpool. They have a very distinct accent that can only be described as wow. <laughs> it's, it's an acquired taste. So I moved back to Germany and then I moved back here to Sheffield. I moved to, to the South in Plymouth, which is part of Devon. And then I moved to the Midlands, Herefordshire. And all these people sounded so different that I needed I needed to understand and get used to their accents every time I moved. So I, I moved all over the country, obviously. So yeah, accents is the first one. Their politeness is one thing that, I, that really caught me off guard because coming from Germany at that point, I'm used to the German bluntness and directness. Um, <laughs> filter, but you know, <laughs> direct to the point and don't take it personally. But the Germans are really like that. They don't like to beat around the bush. They tell it as it is. They don't want to wrap their words in flower language, you know, <laughs> they mm-hmm, just tell yeah. you. But the British sometimes can be very, very indirect. They beat around the bush. They don't want to hurt your feelings. They're so polite. And I'm just like, what do you actually mean? Can you just tell me what you really mean? Because I think you're trying trying to tell me something but you're not really getting to the point tapos naiirita ako you know my first job here we're like why is everybody not being direct with me because I got so used to it in Germany so that was the second one so I needed to tone down the bluntness in me as well because I think some people when I spoke some people perceived me as ay suplada ay medyo rude I'm like no I'm not being rude <laughs> um, my German side was just very cultivated at that point and then I had to tone it down <laughs> Um, but then, but then after a few years here, I went back to Germany for, you know, holiday and all that. And they were like, like, what happened to you? Like, <laughs> I was like, Oh, I cannot please everybody. Come on. So yeah. So the culture of politeness. <laughs> One thing that people might f- find funny is their love for tea. Mm. Uh, so their en- English breakfast tea with milk. And I'm like, Oh my God, it sounds disgusting, but now I love it. I'm, I'm a convert. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? The English, uh, but this is a British thing, not just a, an English one. It's a whole British thing. They love their pubs and their beer. They love a good night out. They're good at night outs. Social mm-hmm. life, nightlife in the UK is def- definitely top notch and limitless, I guess. They're not, because the Germans are very shy and subtle. They will not dress up for a night out. They're like, oh, nothing too loud, nothing too sexy. But the English, no. You come to Liverpool, you see the girls in the middle of winter with tube dresses and high heels and no coats because they want to flaunt their sexiness or their bodies. It doesn't matter if it's like negative 10. So I'm like, oh, you love to party here. Like, okay, I can deal with that. So yeah, those are those are the good ones. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It sounds exactly like New Zealand, which I guess in, in hindsight is not a surprise since yeah. colonized naman yung New Zealand ng UK. Exactly. But, yeah. But yeah, the accents changing from uh, town to town. Yes. Yes. Mind boggling. <laughs> and and do you get a note? Kinakabahan ka ba? Do you get nervous when somebody calls you and you're like, oh my God, I might not be able to understand this person. I need the lips. Oh, you know what? <laughs> you know what? Phone calls are, are Zoom calls uh, right now. Sometimes they are anxiety inducing when I know that they're from a different region. So then, but 
the thing is, the good thing about having a different accent from them is that they understand that you're a foreigner. They approach you with a tiny bit of fascination. And then you can, you can make a spiel out of it where, you know, you become charming to them and it's not embarrassing. I'm like, I'm sorry, could you just repeat that, please? Cause I love your <laughs> accent, but I can't understand it. I mean, and then, you know, they get all flustered or flattered, but then they indulge you, you know, mm-hmm. just play it off and be charming. <laughs> and then suddenly you're their best friend. So <laughs> that was, my, that's my strategy. Uh, whenever I, whenever I'm like, what? Is this English? I'm like, I think it's Mandarin, but it's definitely English. So yeah, that's sort of how I deal with it. But it, it can be very, very jarring, especially when you meet somebody from from the other countries, such as Wales. Mm-hmm. If you meet somebody from North Wales, oh goodness, like how is this still a language? It just it just <laughs> sounds like sounds, like guttural sounds, you know? <laughs> or you meet somebody from like the highlands of Scotland and just like, I think it's just grunting noises. <laughs> it's not even <laughs> and it's like, oh, you need you need to slow down for me, hon, because it's it's I'm not understanding, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But they're very gracious that way. They're not upset when you don't understand them, as long as you do it in a you know, funny and charming way. They're all good. <laughs> yes, yes. There is the Irish, the Scottish, and the oh, Wales, yes. the Wales, the Welsh accent, the Welsh, <laughs> the Payun. Yeah. The so the Northern Irish, different from the the. Irish was a separate entity in and of itself, but the Northern Irish. Oh, that's another one. I, I, I had a, I had a roommate who was a nurse, um, Northern, Northern Irish nurse. And when we first interact, I'm like, Gemma, I don't, I don't know. You got to slow down because it's, a, and then she just laughed at me. She just laughed at me. But yeah, they're very nice people that way. Uh, when you, when you are um, aware that you're having difficulties, they're not, they're not uh, uptight about it. So yeah, you wouldn't have to worry. Yeah. Very polite. Yeah. Very polite if you do compliment their accent what yeah i found that i observed that among the the backpackers here in new zealand who are traveling here if you tell them oh i love your accent where is it from suddenly they will be all flustered and they will love you they will love you yeah they (laughs) will tell you the whole story (laughs) yeah they'll tell you the whole story they won't be insulted by you talking about their accent they love it as long as you compliment it yeah yeah. yeah, and they and will ask you about your accent. And then, you know, it's a great conversation starter, definitely. Yes, yes. And yeah, love for tea. I love uh, Earl Grey now. Before, it was just like, yuck, love what is tea. this brown water? But <laughs> <laughs> yes, English breakfast oh, and Earl Grey. I still cannot get on board. I mean, I still cannot get on board with Earl Grey, but I'm definitely a fan of their English breakfast tea, which is essentially just black tea with a bit of milk so I put oat milk in it and I'm a fan of it it's definitely very comforting in the in the winter in the cold months but you know I'm not a cereal tea drinker and the people that I used to work with in the office pre-pandemic they just drink it like water I'm like people you need H2O <laughs> you just don't need your you're like the tea is is insane you know it's you yeah. know inject it in their veins if, if they could that's, that's what's happening <laughs> yeah it's like you know there's caffeine in that tea right and you can yeah. <laughs> like how how do you sleep at night like like, tell me your secrets. <laughs> yeah, and pub culture, yes, I heard that it's very, very strong. People drink even from the morning, oh, yes. from the afternoon, after work, nonstop. Yeah. So yeah, that's definitely something for um, our kababayans na mahilig uminom. And the kababayans who are not used to drinking, pag may nakita kayong fellow traveler in the UK at 6 o'clock in the morning already drinking the first pint of lager or pilsen, don't be don't be scared. That's just how it is. When they travel, they go all out. They start drinking at six a.m. and they can get rowdy in the airplane. But usually, it's harmless. So, wakeng magulat. 
mga ano lang, medyo mahilig lang sila maglaseng on vacation. <laughs> and how about sa work, Christine? How different is the work culture there compared to, I don't know, what you experienced in Germany and maybe in Philippines if you ever got the chance to work there? Oh, very, very briefly only. So I've, I had mm-hmm. a very brief stint as an English language coach. So I think that experience is negligible because it was literally just like, I think three weeks, that was it. But what I have to say, I mean, I've already hinted about sort of the different attitudes, really. And when it, it translates into the work environment and the work culture as well, if you're working in Germany and you are in a company that is predominantly occupied by German workers, German employers, you'll get used to the bluntness, the directness, the frankness of it all. They want things to run efficiently, you better be punctual, you know, all these very <laughs> German stereotypes, a lot of the times they are very correct. If you <laughs> work smartly in a way, you know, and the Germans really respect sort of that uh, life work balance. There are some public sector jobs in Germany where they work and on a Wednesday, they would work longer so that on a Friday by two o'clock, they're gone. It's already end of work day, essentially. They respect your work-life boundary. They put a lot of importance on having vacation days. They love going on holidays. So they really respect that. If you're, if you're coming in from the Philippines and ito lang ha, ito lang napansin ko kasi we have a culture where we don't like to offend people sort of in our culture. We, we, we sometimes keep things to ourselves until things implode, right? Yep, yep. And if you happen also to be a very sensitive person and you're coming from that culture, working in Germany might be like, oh, wow, you know, might be a bit stressing and traumatizing the first couple of weeks because you're not used to people just being so direct and maybe telling you off like, oh, you've done this wrong. And they don't they don't wrap it in, like I said, in loving language. Oh, mm-hmm. no, they tell you this is wrong. You did that wrong. You have to do this. Okay, bye. You know, um, <laughs> and if you're very sensitive and I've seen this, honestly, I, this is this is I've, what I've observed of friends and family who've come from the Philippines to Germany to work and they come home and just like, oh my God, somebody just shouted at me. And really it was not yeah. somebody shouting at them. It was just somebody <laughs> like with a big voice telling them, you've done this wrong. And then, and then, and then you were like, yeah, but the next day they were all friendly. They were offering me coffee. I'm like, yeah, because they didn't mean it personally. You took it mm. personally. For them, it was just telling you so you can learn on the job. So that's one thing about Germany. I've worked in an international company in Germany where a lot of the people were non-Germans. I, in fact, n- I would say 90% were non-Germans. And you, I could see the difference because you've got the, the very respectful and neat Canadian manager. <laughs> you've got the very hyped up American, like, yeah, you know, bro, you know. <laughs> and then I've had a very passionate Turkish, um, <laughs> Turkish colleague who was uh, actually right in front of me and something wrong could happen in her day. And she, the temper is just like from zero to a hundred, you know, <laughs> and you could see, you could see the differences of how people dealt with, with stress. And I had one Japanese colleague who was just like, she, you wouldn't hear anything from her. Yeah. So that's the difference. And then when I got to the UK, again, everybody's so polite. People wouldn't tell you in your face that you're doing something wrong until something has actually really gone wrong because nobody told you that it was wrong. And then things <laughs> happen, you know, they just kind of implode. And then you're like, oh, what just happened? Nobody told me I have to do this like this. Mm-hmm. 
And I think the culture of politeness has its drawbacks because instead of telling you and teaching you the correct way and, and, and maybe risking a little bit that you'll be upset because they're being very upfront and might appear rude, parang pinapatagal nila yung proseso ng, oh, I don't want to tell her that she's wrong. I don't want to tell right. her that she's doing it wrong. And then mm. when, when things really go wrong at the very end, they then point the fingers at you or, you know, you might mm. be forced to point fingers at anybody else or find a way out. So then that's the drawback. One negative thing, though, and I please don't let this, please don't let this turn you off from working here. Um, sometimes if they don't like you or if they don't like the way you're working, they'd still pretend like they're okay with you in front of you. But then they, some of, some of the people I've worked with have the tendency to sort of go behind your back and tell people bad things mm-hmm. about you. And that's one thing that I really had to confront one colleague about. I said, if you have a problem with the way I work, you don't go and tell half of the office, you tell me. So we have a very diplomatic and adult, mature conversation about it. And she was like, yeah, it's a concept, you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> communication, man. And she's like, yeah, you're right. You're like, yeah, you know, <laughs> so just tell me as it is. So I think that's one thing that Filipinos might, I mean, at least I've got one cousin here who's been bitten by that sort of situation where he's like, oh, everybody was so nice. And then a few months down, he heard some things that were said about it. Oh, they never told me that I was doing it wrong. They should have just told yeah. me instead of spreading all the cheesiness, right? Because it's it's very, the morale kind of just sinks after that. So that's one thing to be very aware about. Yes, yes. I think there's a lesson to be learned here, no? Sa mga kababayan natin, if you are the type who is paligoy-ligoy, it's better to uh, unlearn that and to be direct because it just makes life so much easier and it just makes you more efficient. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I understand that that sentiment that you have. No, Again, New Zealand is a baby of uh, the UK and so a lot of that attitude mm-hmm. is also here that they don't tell you that you're not doing a good job until someone just suddenly explodes and say, na, I know. Na, na yung project. I know, Mali or God forbid, kind of, yeah. <laughs> or God forbid, during your performance review, I'm like you had six months to tell me why, where is yeah. this all coming from? Yeah, happened to me too. I'm like, hold on, you know, like I'm surprised. I thought I was doing a good job, you know, and it's a manager's job to tell you that oh, you need to improve. That's the whole. That's the whole thing about managers. But then I've had so many bad managers. I guess I, this is the first time really in this job that I've had a very good manager where you can see the goalpost and it's not being moved and they're not sort of gaslighting you about your performance that you really know where you're at. But past managers have really been really bad about it, bad management and all that, like telling you all all sorts of things and then telling sort of their manager, sort of your Uber boss. Oh, totally. (laughs) Christine Christine is effing it up completely. But you're telling me differently. I'm like, oh, what's happening? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's that polite culture that has its, that's the negative side of it, I suppose. And I don't know if this applies also to the UK, but in New Zealand, I think you are not allowed to fire someone to terminate someone unless there's some extraordinary circumstance yes. or yes. like they're uh, parang naging criminal sila or something. But if your job isn't good and people want to fire you, they will have to use a different route. Ang ibig ko sabihin is, i-restructure nila yung company mm-hmm. para mawala yung position mo. Ganun mm-hmm. kanila fina-fire dito. Is that the same mm-hmm. in the UK? Sort of, yeah. So the the protection of employ- employees and laborers and workers, especially under the EU, was was very high. It was very strong. 
at the moment, we are in a transition period where these rights and protections might drop off. I mean, God forbid, I, I wouldn't want to see those protections sort of lessened because it's done the UK job market so much good to have EU regulations and, 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 and laws being implemented in here. But you're right, under the EU and still applied law here because it's, it's not changed yet, but it is changing. It is so hard to fire you for sort of flimsy reasons. It has to be really something completely egregious, you know, and, mm. and as you said, they might restructure or they might offer you sort of a, a package really saying that, oh, you know, we're downsizing or whatever. There are ways around it. And in the UK, employment law, if there is a breach of it, if you want to take it to court, we have an, a special employment tribunal. So we don't take it just to the normal courts to do the new uh, civil courts. There's a whole different process, very specialized sort of proceedings for it. And that's where you can see that people are well protected here um, when, they're, when they're working. Mm, great. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, If you really do feel like you have been wronged, it's not just a matter for HR. It's really a matter for the law, for the tribunal. Yeah. Even yes. I, I would I would even say HR protects the company, not the not the workers. So mm. if you think you have a problem, either go to the city, what we call here the Citizens Advice Bureau, which is a free sort of nonprofit organization that gives free advice, um, legal or non-legal, just practical stuff. Go there and they will then signpost you like, oh, yes, you definitely need a lawyer because that, that case is crazy. Or they say, do this and talk to your manager, say these things. And, you know, that, that may change your mind. So it's a very important resource. But, I, you know, as a former lawyer, I would say get a lawyer. I would say get a lawyer. As much as you hate them, get a lawyer. Employment <laughs> lawyers are, are quite nice, though, I must say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Christine, so living there as a, as a foreigner, as mm. a, an immigrant, you know, what rights do you have in terms of social security that uh, other Filipinos on their work visas will also have? Mm. So... As long as you are a contributing taxpayer and payer of na what we call here the national insurance, you will be entitled to also use their healthcare services here, their social care services. And that is something that I really hold in high regard. And I think you would appreciate it because it's something similar in, the, in New Zealand as well, because coming from the Philippines or seeing our brothers and sisters over in America, the public healthcare system is just uh, complete, a complete mess, really. And mm. it widens the gap between the rich and the poor, you know, and the middle class as well. Here, if you are working, even if you lose your job, say you lose your job or you are sort of in transition, it doesn't mean you can't go to the hospital. It doesn't mean that you can't go to a GP because people are paying into a pool of money to fund the whole healthcare system. That's essentially a very simplistic way of explaining it. And if you are a worker here, you are entitled to those services here as well. If you're living here, you also have to pay council taxes. So you will then be entitled to, you know, somebody will pick up your trash, essentially, you know, waste management. Mm. That, that's part of it all. So those are the things that you can expect to have if, once, you, once you work and live here. Mm -hmm. Do you feel lost, doubting yourself, and tired? you question your worth and existence? Well, I'm here for you. Hey, this is Gailey Chavez, and I'm the host of Free Yourself Podcast. My podcast talks about self-love, self-discovery, and growth. 
This is for everyone who wants to live their fullest life and become the person that they could be. Let me help out and remind you that this is your life, your path, that you are not broken and you are worth it. Catch me every Friday at 8 p.m. See ya! Mm-hmm. And let's say, for example, you are a resident. Mm-hmm. So if you do get unemployed, do you get yung parang pasweldo ng government to tide you over while you're looking for another job? I'm not sure if you are if you are non UK non EU. I don't think that you'll be able to to rely on sort of benefits, social benefits or welfare benefits here. There could be other sort of funds that are available to you that I'm I'm not sure if that has changed, but there used to be maybe hardship funds for ten years ago. I've known about this when I was working for the Citizens Advice Bureau for a short while. It probably has changed already, but this is one thing that you as a Filipino applicant for a job here will have to inquire about is there anything within the company that if you get laid off is there sort of a package for that or you know um I don't know, redundancy package or mm. what happens. Worst case scenario is you'll be given notice. Okay. You will not have a job in three months and you'll have time to maybe look for another job in those three months. And that will not affect any visa requirements that you have or visa things that you have to fulfill. But if not, the worst case scenario is you'll have to go back to the Philippines and maybe apply again. So that's worst case scenario. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But after all of that, Christine, is the grass still greener in the UK, you think? You know what? <laughs> Hello. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Th- this is where I'm coming from. The grass is always greener where you are not. Yeah. Y- you know? Of course, yes. Because when I was in Germany, the grass was always greener for, for me here in the UK. And then I got here and then you sort of learn about things and then you long for something else. But that's just me. I think it's what you make of the grass. <laughs> True. And then and then you build your own reality, you build your own dreams. Some people still come, like from the EU, believe it or not, despite having more difficulties as an EU citizen or as you know, somebody from non-EU countries, even if it's difficult coming in here, some people still come because there are good opportunities here. You can still build a life, but it's it's really what you make out of it. You really have to have some grit and hustle to to really make it. And I think that applies for everywhere, really, not just UK. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Oh my gosh, I love that. Um, <laughs> yes, you know, you make your own grass green. I think yeah. I have not been able to capture that essence in this podcast, mm-hmm. but I want our listeners to know that it's really a matter of perspective. Yeah, yeah. And it's always relative. If yeah. you think that the grass is green where you are right now, nasa Pilipinas ka, then that's great. You don't need to move elsewhere yeah. if you find the good stuff where yeah, you and, are. And, and think about this. There's so many sort of American-born, UK-born, like, foreign-born Filipinos who are coming back to, to the Philippines because mm-hmm. they think that the grass is greener sa atin, mm-hmm. you know, because life is a bit more relaxed, maybe the laws are a bit more, you know, less less strict, and then they find that a better a better way of living. So I think it's all a matter of perspective and how you want to build your reality and what you make of your hustle. And yeah, that's that's all I can say really. Because I for me right now, my grass is currently not greener in the UK because I am I'm longing for something else now. So for me the grass is greener somewhere else now. But mm-hmm. that's just me because I, I, I want to travel around. But yeah. 
Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much, Christine, for <laughs> your time you. with us. Thank you, Craig. Tell us naman about uh, Asia in the Shadows and Lagim. Yeah, so Asia in the Shadows is my podcast with Podcast Network Asia. It's a true crime podcast, a weekly one. I release um, an episode every Wednesday and the episodes are about crime stories from all over Asia. So I cover literally, and Asia is one of the, you know, it is the biggest continent, like from Siberia down to the Maldives. So I try to cover everything and I make it as interesting as possible. Lagim is a bit more niche. So I cover Filipino true crime cases a bit more in depth. So longer episodes. I release them every other Friday. Your listeners, if, they, if they're into that, they can uh, follow me on Instagram where I do regular updates. But apart from that, they can look for Lagim or Asia in the Shadows on all podcasting platforms. Yeah. So for any true crime aficionados there who want to hear hear about something else other than Ted Bundy and Jeffrey yes. Dahmer. <laughs> yes, you correct. have Asia in the Shadows and Lagim. So do check that out. And thank you. Thank you, Christine. And thank, thank you, you everyone so for listening. If you like this podcast, do follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, of course, in your streaming service. You can also buy us a coffee if you would like to give us some money. And you can leave us a voice message if you want your voice to be heard on the podcast. So yeah, thank you. Salamat sa lahat. Uh, see you again in the next two weeks. This is Kring Lakson with Christine Abrigana. And this is The Greener Side. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.